This is WFG Insights, your download on the real estate market, featuring industry experts, thought leadership, and what's trending, keeping you informed and ahead of the market. In this download, WFG Chairman and Founder Patrick Stone reveals a surprising start to the year and maintains an optimistic outlook for the second half. Patrick, I want to dive right into this and talk about January. We made it through the month, and I know you have some good news to share. Yeah, we saw purchase orders go up about 25 to 30% over December numbers. And we're seeing the same thing in February, up 20, 25% in most markets over January. So we are seeing a level of activity and engagement we haven't seen in quite a while. Obviously, we're still below where we want to be, but it is improving and it is noticeable. What would you attribute this to? Basically, what's happened out here is we had a resurgence in the desirability of home ownership during the pandemic. That has not abated at all. I mean, people are now focused on owning a home. This kind of reminds me of the 70s and 80s, 60s, 70s and 80s, where owning a home was your first step towards financial security. So every young couple wanted to own a home. That dissipated over the years. It became less and less important to people. But the pandemic re-emphasized the desirability of controlling your environment and where you live and how you live. So the desirability is very high. Affordability is still a problem, but we have seen interest rates level off and tick down a little bit, although with the recent jobs report, they pop back up a little bit. Having said all that, there are programs out there that allow people to get into homes 15 years and five and one adjustable rate. There are programs out there that are working for people to get into homes, plus a great percentage of home purchases are still cash only. So uh, we are seeing desirability, I think right now, emphasized. And I do think there's a lot of people that believe that that uh, rates will come down. They get in a home now, they'll be able to refinance it or adjust the, the adjust the mortgage payment appropriately at, at uh, some near-term uh, point in time. Yeah, and I've been saying this for 25 years now. Rates, obviously, there is an impact there, but the job market is much more important. And if people have job certainty, they feel good about their job, they feel good about their income, they will buy homes, right? They will buy cars, they will buy motorcycles or whatever. And we saw that job number uh, about a week ago, a big pop here. I know a lot of people were surprised. Obviously, that could have an impact on rates. We'll talk about that in a sec, but it's good to see a big job number like that, isn't it? It is, although I'm going to be really honest with you. I don't put a tremendous amount of weight on almost any statistic that comes out right now. Uh, We still have a great deal of dysfunction in the way we are tracking unemployment. Uh, You'll notice the job openings far exceed the unemployment and people say that that they make a political issue out of it. We have an aging population, plus we had participation rates in in the labor market drop during the pandemic. We're still not back to normal. So the job report was very good, but we're not quite back to normal yet. Uh, It is indicative that the economy is still strong. You know, the media put a tremendous amount of emphasis on the layoffs in the tech industry and a couple other industries. Candidly, they were really not that significant compared to where we are overall in the labor market. And that showed up in the recent report. Yeah. And uh, I guess next question then, you know, Fed Chairman Powell, uh, conversation with Carlisle Group uh, a couple days ago. 
Uh, it kind of felt like, you know, read between the lines, he was asked, do you wish you'd had that number, you know, prior to, and he kind of said, well, you know, we got to go with what we go with, right? So yeah. it kind of sounded like maybe they would have raised 50 basis points if they'd have known what they know now. Uh, what's the impact on that number? I know there's other data that's going to come out here, but what's the impact on that if a, a strong jobs market continues on the Fed and their, you know, interest rate hikes? Well, it depends on whether or not wages and overall wage, uh, labor costs are going up. The rate of appreciation has been declining in wage gains. Uh, so we have like leveled off and started actually having less uh, wage appreciation, still well over 4%, but it's uh, it, it has leveled off. If you look at the uh, CPI, the Consumer Price Index, or the PCE, Personal Consumption Expenditures, both of them overall have about 40 to 42% of their composition around real estate. Uh, about 17% around food and beverages and about 17% around transportation. So it does have an impact. Labor does have an impact, but it's more about whether or not wages costs are going up. And they're not right now, even with that unemployment rate. So we'll see what happens going forward. But I don't think it's going to be horribly impactful on uh, declining rates. All that said, where are we in terms of this recession we've been hearing about for <laughs> I don't know, a couple of years now. What's what's your take on that? I mean, it does to me, it doesn't feel like this is going to be any big deal. Uh, what say you? Well, I think for the U.S., it's not going to be a big deal. Whether or not we actually tip into a recession, uh, that could happen, but it will be minor, kind of like the recession we had last year that wasn't technically a recession. We had two straight quarters of negative GDP growth, but the Bureau of Economic uh, research said it wasn't a recession because gross domestic income went up. We may replicate that experience later this year or early next year, but I'm not too worried about a recession in the U.S. Uh, There still is quite a bit of concern about a potential recession in Europe or globally. And it's really interesting. There was a survey done not too long ago. They surveyed large uh, CEOs of large companies, CEOs of mid-sized companies, and CEOs of small companies. The CEOs of large companies were pretty negative overall on almost every topic. And that, I think, is a direct reflection of the fact that they operate internationally and they're concerned about the global economy. The CEOs of the mid-sized companies and small companies were very optimistic. And that, I think, reflects the fact that they focus on the U.S. and they are pretty positive about our economic future here in the U.S. That's good to hear. I, I couldn't agree more on that uh, analysis. And, you know, it's funny because, I don't know, it's funny or it's scary, but, uh, you know, we talk often about the pundits and the talking heads on television. And right now you have uh, those folks that follow the equity markets, the stock jocks, screaming that the Federal Reserve is going to just, uh, you know, kamikaze this economy right into the ground and they need to stop right now, stop raising interest rates. And yet you don't hear that from people like you, uh, experts in the housing market. It's an interesting, uh, you know, kind of parallel there. What is your take on this in terms of where the Fed goes with rates? Are they are they going to need to keep hiking? Or are they going to need to calm it down? What's your feeling on this, Pat? Well, my bet, and I'm actually betting my money on this, is that <laughs> the Fed will probably do another 25 basis points, and that'll be it. 
And the reason I say that is I do think that both the CPI and PCE will come down dramatically in the uh, towards the end of the first quarter. I base that on the fact that both of those indexes, uh, just really back up for a second, uh, CPI, Consumer Price Index, is based on surveys of consumers and individuals. PCE, Personal Consumption Expenditures, is based on surveys of business. Fed likes PCE better than CPI. Unfortunately, the CPI comes out in the early part of the month, so it gets all the media coverage. PCE comes out later in the month and it is barely mentioned. So um, the Fed likes the PCE and the PCE right now is about 1% below, but both of those indexes are largely comprised on real estate related items. And owner's equivalent rent, basically figuring out what would rent be as the price of the home appreciates is about 22% of CPI and about 12% of PCE. Owner's equivalent rent is gonna come down dramatically because we saw the house price appreciation actually peak last summer and start downward, right? So historically, there's been about a five to seven month delay in those indexes reflecting that phenomena. So you're gonna start seeing in later in the first quarter of February and March numbers, you're gonna start seeing these numbers come down because owner's equivalent rent is coming down. Now, providing we don't get up any meaningful increase in wages, I do think that the, both indexes will come down. And I think the Fed will raise 25 bips more and then that's it. Okay, you're on the record. We've got this on tape. so <laughs> I'm in trouble now. <laughs> yeah, you're in trouble. Yeah, we'll bring this back. Um, and, you know, I always mention this, or I often mention it, and I do this for a reason because uh, our audience, real estate professionals, title professionals, mortgage professionals, they watch television, they follow social media, and they see the media and what the media does to manipulate headlines. And we've talked about this before, but I I bring it back up again because there is a major disconnect between the media's understanding of the housing market and the, the parallels, the comparisons that they typically draw between the housing market and the equity markets. Obviously, you and I both know real property, stocks very different right and yet they're all lumped in there and it's like people are all of a sudden gonna you know hit the eject button on their house and you know it's it just it's crazy but i want you to talk about that because it's important to reiterate how different they are and we see this literally every day yeah you know i think it's important to remember that the equity market is really a reflection of future anticipation of the performance of the companies reflected in the in the indexes so in other words, uh, if, if you have some sort of statistical event, every investor or speculator in the equity market is trying to anticipate where it will be six, nine months, a year from now. And a lot of people invest money with a longer time frame. Housing market is really demand supply driven. It is more of a direct uh, economic relation between demand and supply. Uh, if people... Uh, very few people buy homes based on speculation. Yes, there are there's a large investor component, but it still is fairly small compared to the overall market. And that is the only part of the market I know of where people are actually making the decision solely on long-term speculation. Uh, and now an individual buys a home. Yes, they hope it goes up in, uh, in price, but they're buying a home as a place to live. And they're really putting money into the home to buy the home uh, it, it's an offset and the mortgage is an offset from paying rent, right? So mm -hmm. uh, people have a much more realistic, immediate and supply demand type relationship with homes than they do in the stock market. Yeah, A stock market yeah. is speculation. 
And if there's one thing I would encourage anybody watching to take away from this, it's what you just said, supply and demand, because you will have clients, you will have consumers who bring up everything they see in the media, and you need to just remain calm, (laughs) let them say what they say, and then literally steal what Pat Stone just said, because that's what it comes down to. And speaking of inventory, we'll get to that in a sec. You know, what we're seeing now is the Zillow effect, as I just randomly called it, right? Where, you know, you look at a home on Zillow that was, I don't know, $700,000 in Boise a year ago, and now it's 600000 and we bought it at six twenty-five, And so, oh my gosh, we're underwater. And so the foreclosure talk ramps up and all these people are going to lose their homes. And I would counter that, well, they bought the home at three, three and a half, four percent mortgage interest rate. They still have a job, right? They're still working. They're still making money. So again, another media overblown hype, right? It is a real disservice to the American consumer to even make that argument without understanding what drives foreclosures. Foreclosures are as a result of someone's inability to make a payment on a home. If you look at mortgages taken out in the last four years, two-thirds of all mortgages taken out in the last four years have a FICO score over 760. These are high credit worthy borrowers, uh, like you said, who have jobs and who have the ability to make the payments. We're not going to have a foreclosure surge or an issue with foreclosures. It's just not going to happen. Now, we have people still in the market that were helped by forbearance. They may be teetering on a situation where they're unemployed, but they have equity in their homes. Over 50%, I mean, over all homes have over 50% equity. I mean, the ability to sell that home, refinance it or sell it will keep people from having to go to foreclosure, but that's a small segment of the ownership. The bulk of the ownership is in very solid, high credit worthy hands. And it's not garbage loans like we had before the financial crisis. So all in all, there's gonna be no foreclosure wave. Foreclosures have picked up a little bit, but we're not gonna see anything like we saw after the during the great recession. We're not gonna see that. Yeah, you know, a lot of times we kind of tangle here. We're on the same page. I mean, I agree with you. <laughs> and that's kind of <laughs> rare, isn't it? <laughs> I like to poke the bear, you know. Hey, that's the way it yeah, goes. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask you about builders, too. I mean, with the lack of inventory. I mean, I you know, I keep an eye on it, and there hasn't been a whole lot pop up in, uh, you know, in, in Utah County here uh, the last few months. So I see builders uh, putting up homes here. That doesn't seem to have slowed down a whole lot here. Um, they seem to be in a really good position here over the next 12 to 18 months. If they can crank out enough product, uh, I mean, there there's some inventory there right? Well, yeah, here's what's going on there. And, and I think if you, if people think about it a little bit, they understand. Uh, if you're a builder and you're building a subdivision out to sell, you're doing it on a spec basis for the most part. So you're building a lot of homes or the big builders who build a lot of homes, build a lot of homes on the spec basis. In order to have a reasonable control over the outcome on a spec basis, you need to be able to, with certainty, say what the cost of building the home is going to be and when it will be finished. 
because of the changes in the cost of materials, because of the shortage of labor, because of all the uncertainty, builders have been very reluctant to step up and build a lot of spec homes because they can't real, with certainty say when the, the home is going to be done and be on the market and if there's going to be a market for it. So a lot of large builders got conservative last year. I think they're going to re-engage in the market. Uh, I'm optimistic going forward that we're going to see a surge in new home construction over the next couple of years. And uh, with that, let's talk price point because, you know, some of the higher end homes, production builders that build, quote unquote, custom homes, right? Um, I'm sure that they'll be a little more impacted than, say, production builders that build in given a given market at, say, you know, four, five, six hundred thousand. I mean, right, you're going to want to bring your price points down a bit, um, maybe build a smaller home. Is that right? Um, I, I'm not sure on that, Brian, because there are quite a few people out there with significant dollars. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at the American consumer right now, they have $900 billion more in disposable income than they had at the start of the pandemic. Obviously, a lot of that was because of stimulus programs and the fact that there weren't services to spend money on. But the, a lot of consumers have significant dollars. So I do think that the building will, uh, the bulk of it will be on the lower end. But I do think you're going to see more high-end homes built in the next couple of years because the market's there for them. Good to hear. Okay, so some practical advice now. We kind of like to offer this up as well. And I want to touch on this uh, for title agents across the country right now. And I want you to be in their shoes, not not the CEO, not the founder, not the chairman, Okay. You're running a small independent title agency, Patrick, and you've been there. So in this environment right now where we're starting to see things, you know, some positives and kind of coming out of winter here in a couple months, what advice would you give to those folks who are running the independent title agency right now? Okay. Well, hey, this is really kind of curious. You must have been monitoring my earlier phone calls because (laughs) I had a call earlier this morning on this subject. And what I advise the individual to do is uh, try to be as unemotional as possible about their decision making. The way you do that is you try to figure out metrics that you can manage by, metrics for staffing. Uh, I've always used open files per employee, uh, metrics for staffing, uh, metrics for anything you do so that you take the emotion out of it. Hey, we're all human beings. Unless you're a bitter person, you care about your employees and you and it's really, really hard to make decisions if you do it on an emotional basis. So you need to get You need to get metrics and processes in place the best you can to make decisions on numbers and what's going on. Now you say, well, okay, Pat, but that's kind of impersonal. You know, what happened to being a human being? You're still a human being. You still care about people. You treat them as best you can. But if you don't do this, you're actually letting all your other employees down. Uh, You need to make sure the company survives. You need to make sure the company is situated so that it can prosper when the market uh, regains full strength. The way you do that is take the emotion out of management because you won't make good decisions if you're emotional or if you're doing it on a personality basis. Get uh, get metrics in place, get statistics in place, try to operate as unemotionally as you can. Not to say that if you had to lay someone off tomorrow, they wouldn't come back in three to six months, right? Yep. I mean, yep. Yeah, I mean, we we use, uh, you know, we use voluntary time off, we use mandatory time off, we use work share, we use uh, partial wages. There's a lot of things you can do to mitigate your employee costs and still retain the people or still retain the goodwill of the people you're engaged with. Um, Look at, 
we're all human beings. We want to make sure we treat people fairly. But your obligation is to all the people that work in your company. You want to make sure your company is viable. Your company uh, not only uh, uh, continues to exist through this market, but has the ability to prosper so that your employees can also prosper and and grow with the company. Well, and I brought that up, too. And this is uh, totally unrelated to the real estate industry. But we had David Dino on, who's the CEO of uh, Bloom and Brands, so Outback Steakhouse and a few other uh, brands out there. And during the pandemic, as you know, many restaurant groups completely laid all their people off and let them go. And when they came back, they had an issue finding people who wanted to come back. Well, they did not do that at Bloomin'. Uh, they continued to pay people. They continued to offer them benefits. And when they came back, they were stronger or as strong as they were when we, when we went into the pandemic. So it made me think, you know, as tight as the labor market is right now, if you've got great people and you're, you know, it's tough to let them go, find a creative way to keep them, whether you keep paying their benefits or as you said some other pay structure so that maybe you don't have to go find somebody uh, when the market comes back because it will right yeah and i think a lot of employees are, are willing to participate in uh, voluntary time off maybe they work four days a week instead of i mean really be yeah. creative that way because uh some employees will appreciate that and they can adjust to that over a couple months I personally think the market is coming back. I personally think the market will be back to a very desirable place uh, in the second half of this year. It's going to take a while to get there, but we're heading in the right direction. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, I'm optimistic, but I think you got to get through it right now. So be thoughtful about how you can retain your capability, but mitigate your expense so that you are there when the market comes back. Well, you've always been right. Well, maybe not always, but <laughs> most of the time you're right. <laughs> I want you to talk to my wife. Would you talk to my wife? <laughs> yeah, I hear you there, Pat. Well, great insight. It's good to have optimism here. People need it. And uh, great advice there in terms of managing uh, your business in uh, what is a challenging environment right now. But good to hear things are picking up. But we appreciate your update. Well, thank you, Brian. You have a good one, bud. Thanks to WFG founder and executive chairman Patrick Stone for joining us. And thank you for partnering with WFG.